your world. And he mentions that in verses um, 25 through verse number 31. In verse number 32 through 35, and this is the last one that we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, uh, he wants them to face their responsibilities honestly. Now, he wants them to look and see, once they do get married, the responsibilities that they're going to have. Pretty good counsel, is it not? I mean, when you do get married, you, this is what's going to be expected of you. This is what you're going to have to be faced with. And you're going to have to be responsible. And he wants you to look honestly at those. In verse 36 through 38, and this is where we will begin and, and, uh, and try to finish out the rest of the chapter. In these particular verses, he wants you to factor in, whenever you're considering marriage, that each situation is unique. Okay? I don't believe there's a blanket clause or a blanket that you can just lay out and say, all marriages got to meet this criteria. Because every single person is different. Every single marriage is different. And every single situation is unique in and of itself. So he's saying, factor that in and remember that. In verses 36 through 38, let's just read those two verses and look what he says. He says, but if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, if she is past marriageable age... So it must be he can do what he wants. He's not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin, will do well. So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. Now, let me put in a disclaimer. Our culture today is not like the culture that it was in first century Christianity when the church at Corinth was established. What I mean by that is that in that day, the dads, the fathers, picked the spouse for their bride, for their daughter. And he pretty much controlled when she would get married and who she would marry. The daughter really had no say in that. In the Jewish culture and custom, in the custom of that day, uh, the daughter didn't get to go out and date. She didn't get to look at a guy and say, Ooh, I like him. I think I'll pursue that. Um, you know, there was none of that. The dad looked around and he said, No, 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 maybe, yes. And then the dad would pursue a relationship with this boy, this young man. And he would keep his daughter somewhat, figuratively speaking, behind him as he built this rapport, this re- relationship as he would determine if this boy was good enough for his daughter. And if so, then he would step out of the way and he would give his daughter to that man and they would be married and usually they would live in the household or right there close in the vicinity. I mean, that's kind of how the family worked. We don't live in that world today, do we? Hello? Maybe some dads would like to live in that world, right? That's the world I live in. I've told my daughter, I'm going to pick the guy. No, 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 no. We have these little skirmishes. Matter of fact, um, no, I want him. I want him go there. The conversation we had yesterday. That, that's the trouble of being a pastor's kid. You, you get drawn into all the illustrations, you know. But I won't. I won't exploit that and and go there. It would be kind of cool to live like that, would it not? Huh? Especially as dads. You know, we're sitting back. I'd like that. But that's not the world we live in. And what Paul is saying, even in that world, even in that world, he said. You got to realize that each situation is unique and each individual is different and each girl. Matter of fact, there's a there's a phrase that he uses. um, Look, if you will, in uh, verse 36 
any man thinks he's acting improperly toward it. By the way, Paul is addressing here the dads. He's addressing the fathers, okay? Uh, he's really not addressing the, uh, the singles or the unmarried. He's really addressing the father of an unmarried virgin if she is past maritable age. Now, different translations use that little phrase uh, and, and, and word it differently. Some translations say the flower of her age. I think that's the King James. Um, and I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which it says past the marriageable age. And so anyhow, it talks about that age, that, that, that the girl's ready to get married. And some of them had some concerns that their girl was getting older. She may be getting past that age. And what do we do? We, you know, and he said, listen, it's okay if she just doesn't get married. And, and so he just wanted them to consider that each situation is unique. And here's the point, the principle that I, I believe is that we can pull out of these verses and make it very relevant in our day today. That singles, boys or girls that are considering marriage or young ladies, young women or mature women or whatever the case may be. As you are considering marriage, I think it's, it's important to seek God's will. Now, Scripture says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are far more profound than ours. And, and he sees the big picture where we just see, you know, God sees the entire parade. We just see one float at a, at a time as it goes by. And we try to make decisions based off this one float that we see watching this parade. But God sees the entire parade from its beginning to its end. And, and he knows what's best. So here's the point I believe he's saying. Seek God's will. And try to understand what God's will may be. Now, it may be different than what we had planned. Hello? That's why I believe our God has a sense of humor. Because he'll allow us to think a certain way. Oh, we've got this plan, and we've got this plan, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is what our kids are going to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, it doesn't always work out like that, does it? Does it? I mean, sometimes it does, but not always, does it? But what we need to do is really submit to the Lord's will. And I love the passage of Scripture, and I'm going to use it later in my, in my sermon this morning. Sermonette this morning. You'll understand that term later. But the Bible tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. You know, the problem with that verse is that a lot of people try to train up a child the way they train up all their children. That's a problem. And what I mean by that, if you have two children, I guarantee you they're completely different. 99.9% of the time, they are completely different. If you have three, I know they're all different. And the more you have, the, they're different. And there is no cookie-cutter mold for each child. Now, there's a relative mold. There's the, there's the Word of God, and there's the counsel of God's Word, and, you know, that does not change. But... For each child, the Bible says, train that child up in the way he or she should go. That means as a parent, you need to be involved in your child's life. You need to understand who they are. You need to understand somehow how they think and what process is taking place. You need to understand where they're gifted. You need to understand if they're extrovert or introvert. You need, you need to kind of understand. And really, as parents, we do kind of understand that, do we not? Huh? I mean, how I many can you can just read your kids without saying a word? Just let me see some facial expressions, and 
and, uh, and, and you can read them, right? So what you need to do is take that in consideration and realize that each child is... Train up a child in the way that child should go and then in the way that child should go. And understanding Jeremiah twenty nine eleven comes into play also that God has a plan for that child. Now, it may not be what we thought and it may not be identical to how we did this other child. Hello? It's, it's, each situation is unique. And that's the principle that Paul is laying out here in these, these three verses. He's saying, factor that in and realize that each child is different. Don't expect one to be like the other. You, you may tell you what usually destroys children. This is what I've seen, and I'm not a child psychologist by any means, but, but, but this is what I've seen just being in ministry and being around families, being around people and doing a tremendous amount of counseling. You know what I see is, is a problem in a lot of families? is that sometimes parents expect their children all to be the same, all to act the same, all to have the same grades, all to, all to do this. That doesn't happen. And you know what happens when, when parents expect their children all, say one excels, and they always use that one as an example to the other. Why, Johnny made straight A's in that class. Why can't you make straight A's in that class? And by the way, parents do it over and over and over again. You are not training up that child in the way that child should go because comparing that child with another child will tear down and demoralize the one child. You understand me? Don't compare. And usually what happens to that child is they'll become a a person of low self-esteem. They'll become a person of of just uh, think their whole life's a failure because they've never lived up to the expectations of their parents because one child did exceed Now we compare the other children with that one and we think they all should. Don't do that. Paul's saying each situation is unique. And the principle is seek the Lord's will. And just allow God's will to be done. Okay? That sound okay? Each situation is unique. Okay? Factor number four. And let's finish up the last part of this passage in verse 39 uh, and verse number 40. And the last factor is this. Remember that marriage is for life. Okay? It's for life. Look what he says. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone that she wants. Only in the Lord. Now here he gives a a stipulation and we'll cover that in a moment. But she is happier if she remains as she is. In my opinion. (laughs) And I think that I also have the spirit of God. So what is Paul saying here? This last factor. Whenever we're considering marriage. He's saying remember that marriage is for life. It's a permanent lifetime commitment. Matter of fact in our day and age. There's a lot of um, trial marriages so to speak taking place. Right? You see it all over in Hollywood. Matter of fact, it's not, and Hollywood seems to get a lot of the blame. It's not just Hollywood. You see it all over in our world today. People get into marriage and they're entering that marriage with an escape clause. We'll try it. We'll see how it works. We'll see if we can get along. We'll see if we can live together. Matter of fact, a lot of them are even doing it prior to getting marriage, which is sinful as well. Well, kind of weak on me there. You with me this morning? But this escape clause, let's just try it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, we'll get out of it. We'll divorce and we'll go our separate ways and do our thing. Listen, that is not of God. Hello? That's not of the Lord. Marriage is a commitment for life. 
And marriage needs to be built on that commitment. Built on your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Committing your life to him until death do you part. To the Lord and to your spouse. Until death do you part. Make that commitment. That's what marriage is. And that's what marriages are built on. Matter of fact, that's what healthy marriages are built on. They're not built on good looks. Do not build your marriage on good looks. Because I promise you, as the years unfold, the looks will change. For my wife, they change for the better. Amen? <laughs> you know what I remember, and I was thinking about this as I was studying this week. I remember when I, my, my wife and I started dating, we were 15, 16 years old. And we dated all through high school, and we got married a year after high school. And, 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 and my counsel would not be to any 19-year-old get married right out of high school. You know, God just, just blessed us. And I tell my kids, don't even think about that. Don't even date. Don't even, you know. But we did, and, and the Lord's blessed us. But, but I remember... I remember we got married in, in, my, in my late teens, and I believe, you're going to find this hard to believe, but I had a head full of hair. I mean a head full of hair. Now, back in the, back in the, um, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, you know, the style was, you know, part it down the middle and feather it. Feather it all back and, you know, not grease it down, but blow dry, you know, have it feathered and... And a little longer in the back. Not long, but that, and that's how my hair was. You know what my wife used to love to do? She used to love to have me sit down in the bathroom. And she would get out a hair dryer and a curling brush. And she would feather my hair back on the side. And I didn't, you know, I wore a cap all the time, okay? But she, for enjoyment, she enjoyed just fixing my hair. Now, if she would have married me based on my hair... <laughs> we would have been done a long time ago. Because <laughs> I was about 22, 23. It left here, okay? But the point is, we can't build our marriages on good looks. We can't build our marriages on money. You can't build your marriage on money. Money comes and goes. You may have it this week and be flat broke. Next week, you may be doing well this year. Next year, there's nothing. You may have a great paying job making whatever salary and think, man, I've got the world by the tail. The very next year, you may be coming to the church and speaking with the benevolence committee and saying, you know, guys, I need some help. Hello? That's called life. There's no guarantees. Don't build your marriage based on money. Hello? Build it based on, number one, your faith in Christ and your commitment to that spouse. And with the Lord's help, you will have a wonderful marriage. But only as the Lord is the center. So there has to be that Christian commitment. There has to be that Christian character. And there needs to be that Christian maturity, okay? Now, there are exceptions for divorce. Jesus gives us an exception clause. You know, matter of fact, in Malachi, it says that God hates divorce. Right? Now, understand this, and I want you to hear this. God does not hate divorced people. You understand that? He loves you as much as he loves anybody else. 
You're not a second-class Christian. You're not a, a has-been and a wash-up. God still has a plan for you, and God can still use you. Somebody needs to say amen right there. God hates the sin of divorce. And why does he hate it? He hates it because of the pain that it causes. I mean, he loves you. And none of us as parents want our children to have to go through anything that's going to be painful for them. Emotionally or physically. Do we? I mean, part of our job as parents is to protect them from getting hurt. And one of the hardest things for me to do as a parent is see my children come home hurt. It's hard for me to keep on the new man hat. I mean, I want to go do something to somebody to hurt my kid. Right? That's just natural. God doesn't want us to be hurt. Does he? Hello? And he knows what divorce will do. It will be painful for you. It will hurt you, not just at the present, but for the rest of your life, there's, there's pain that you're going to have to deal with. And I didn't say that he wouldn't forgive you. It's a sin like any other sin. And there's forgiveness for that sin. And you can go on, but there's pain you're going to deal with. Your children are going to deal with that pain the rest of their days. You understand that? Now, that doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian or a second-class person or that God can't use you. God has a place for you in His church today. And I want you to know this. Victory Church has a place for divorced people. Hello? And you're not down here and everybody else up here. We're all right here at the foot of the cross, serving our Master and our Lord. Hello? But I do want you to know that God hates divorce because of the pain and the hurt that it causes people that he loves and that he loves them so much that he gave his son so jesus mentioned an exceptional clause for for divorce yes you can get a divorce when one spouse has been unfaithful paul mentioned that okay but you know what even at that i still don't think that ought to be the first option i still think they ought to try to work through that and you know what i've counseled with two different types of couples through this one couple could not get through that whatsoever divorce came. I've counseled with other couples that worked through that. And through the years, they were able to have a beautiful marriage restored because they worked through it. And it's painful, it hurts, but it can't happen. With the grace of God, it can't happen. But God's plan, and Paul is saying to these unmarrieds that you're bound it's it's the plan is for a lifetime now i want you to understand something here real quickly and i gotta stop we gotta we have a baptism today at ten twenty three. everybody get that memo and that's what time we're going to start up at the old uh campus the old church and and uh so we, i gotta get up there and get ready for that uh but here's what i want you to know god puts some walls around marriage and he doesn't do that to keep us in a prison he does that to make it a safe fortress. Okay? He puts some walls around. He puts some parameters there. He puts some principles there. And, and it's not because that he wants to keep us in bondage to something. It's because he wants to keep us safe. Just like parents do their children. Okay? And that's what God's will. Now, God still has a place for people that have been married and divorced and remarried. 
He still has a place for you to serve. I believe the only place where it disqualifies an individual is in the place of a pastor and a deacon and ordained office. But other than that, there's plenty more ministries. And by the way, you don't need to have an office to have a ministry. Hello? God still has a plan. And he can still use you and all of us. Okay? So that's some, some factors that Paul said I want you to remember, okay? We will jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 8 next week. So um, start studying that out and looking at that. And with that, we will close in prayer today, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to study your word. And, and uh, just thank you for the fact that we're able to have a copy of the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. We are so privileged And Lord, every day when I go in my office and I look on my desk and I see stacks of Bibles, different translations, different study Bibles, the most coveted part of my library is my Bibles. God, I thank you for that. God, thank you for the the opportunity that we have in America to have have many copies of your word. God, I'm reminded that there's people around the world that hunger for just a page. If we could just tear a page out and give it to them, it would be the greatest thing that ever happened in their life. And there's people that, that are like that around our world today. God, as we remember that, may it convict us. May you convict us for not reading and studying your word for taking this wonderful blessing for granted. Help us, God, to be students of your word. To be students of your word. Until the end of our day, help us to be students of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.